Welcome to another edition of Practitioner Radio, Pink Elephant's podcast for the IT management community. Hey, it's Chris Dancy. Welcome to Practitioner Radio. I'm here with Troy Dumoulay. Troy, how are you doing this week? Doing great, Chris. How are you? Fine. Okay, so we got fan mail from episode two. We got uh, someone mentioning uh, on Twitter, actually, that they said, hey, this is great that it's on iTunes, but I want to download it. So uh, you guys, just so you know, you can check out Troy's blog. Uh, he's got the files there, or you can check out the service for a blog. Practitioner Radio is there. So if you absolutely don't like iTunes, you can get it to go. So there's some listener feedback to kick the show off. Troy, we've been uh, problem childs, children. We've been uh, service leveled. I think it's time for a little change magic. Ch-ch-ch-changes. Wow. Wow. Sing it, Troy. Sing it like a rock star. All right. So I thought we'd start off with a little quote. He who rejects change is the architect of decay. The only human institution which rejects progress is the cemetery. Troy, do you know where I got that? No, that's deep. Where'd you get that, Chris? I got that from Troy's blog. You can go to blog, stop pink elephant and check out <laughs> Troy's blog. Uh, Troy, but you start your, your last blog entry that I just caught up on, uh, off with that quote. Um, what is it about change, uh, from an ITIL standpoint that kind of makes people so passionate? Most people don't like it. They actually see change as an impediment to actually getting their job done. So, you know, it's, control and it's changed the man coming after me to get my uh you know take away password away to be rude or admin on the server it's all nasty stuff i i agree with you uh we have definitely some change control processes here at at pink i uh wanted to add a code to our accounting system this morning and found out oh no there's a process for that so i mean we're we seem to be eating our own dog food um let's start off the podcast about change kind of the way we always do and that's how would you explain it to a two-year-old? All right. Well, first of all, it's not all about me, baby, mm. right? This is, and that's the whole premise of service management. It's take a look from the other side of the table and what's best. What's the best interest for your partner, for your customer, for the person you care about, and then your priorities and willingness to manage change becomes different. So let's just put it this way. Um, how to describe change? Life goes on. Lots of things happen all the time. We have a careful plan schedule. In fact, let's talk about it in relationship to my family life because my wife, like probably many others out there, has this family calendar mm. and it's not digital yet. It's, it's just paper. It's, it's, it's hanging on the fridge and it's got all of the activities, like what the kids are doing, their swimming lessons, uh, you know, the upcoming parent teacher thing. And when we're planning to go on vacation and, and that's our schedule of events. That's our life right there. All these different inputs. Now, if I was suddenly to decide to go out with my buddies and go watch a show on Friday night and I haven't processed that change in front of the change manager here, my social convener, quote unquote, um, I would probably upset a few people as well as the apple cart. So I, I need to kind of float the idea out there. You know, I was thinking, dear, and here's the business case of why it might be good and what we can do with the thing we plan to do then. Uh, can we kind of get this, you know, into the mix and I might have to pull a cab together at dinner table and ask my, my children, are you okay if we kind of change the plans and they'll, 
They'll vote yay or nay, depending on the critical dependencies of what their social life is. And then if it's a good go, I get the flag uh, to go forward. I insert my new thing into the change schedule and we're all nice. Just to spring it on uh, anyone or the people I care about probably is not a recipe for a happy life. And you know, a happy wife is a happy life. Yeah. So the first, is, is, it, is it safe to say that maybe not the first, but one of the tenets in change management, if we kind of wanted to break it down at a high level for someone a little bit slow like me, maybe some type of scheduling or calendaring understanding of the events that currently happen so that you can look at spots for when you can make other new things happen. Yeah. I mean, change is inevitable. It happens all the time. Uh, the basic premise of what's not defined cannot be controlled is is true here too. So I have to know what's happening so I could even understand how my change, my potential change would impact what's currently planned. So if you don't have a good calendar, a good sense of your social calendar, as I described a moment ago, how do you even make a determination if you're free that week? Mm. You know, or you can do this change with an IT context. Now, in most IT shops I've been in, Troy, they have a problem just getting a calendaring system for a conference rooms. In the real world, how do we actually pull this off for IT systems? Well, we first need a desire to actually share information. And mm. that's not as you know easy as it sounds because mm. of our silo mentality. We talked about that last show. Yep. Uh, then we need to provide a system of uh, management that allows people to see at a glance everyone else's changes. In my personal example, it was that calendar of hanging on the fridge. Yep. But I've got to get my stuff in front of people who have stuff going on too. So there's a, there's a willingness. There's a policy that we do this. There's a... Uh, than a system of record that allows me to see all the changes in relationship to each other. When we're doing these things in silo, each of us making our own plans, we're going to get inevitably a you know a collision midair. It almost sounds like a good change manager needs to focus on what it would be like to conduct a great symphony. Well, yes, it's it's a story of many parts, right? Without knowing all the parts, uh, you you're going to have the collision of the instruments. Yeah. So you can have the most brilliant piece of music, the world class musicians. But if you don't have someone actually looking at the big picture, you might end up with something that makes you tone deaf. <laughs> you know, the new tune, the iTunes came out with groove control. Mm. It makes all the other things go along with the master track. Yeah, it's true. I never thought about it. So groove control on iTunes is kind of like change. Me. All right, and we won't go there. That's, push, <laughs> that's pushing the limits. All right. So we, we've got people out of their silo mentality. We've got a vision for what's happening. One of the things that people seem to gravitate toward next when they're talking about change is this idea of boards of people, groups of people, approvals, processes. Can you talk a little bit about the types of people you would involve in those groups? Okay, so let's first start with a couple of basic assumptions. Yeah. Uh, contrary to your personal belief, change management is about, isn't about you, isn't about controlling you. It's about trying to coordinate the, the symphony, as you will. Uh, and then let's understand that all changes are not created equal. Some changes are are major, some are minor, some we do a thousand times. And so the risk relative to the change is not equal. Now let's stop there and talk about that. Let me jot down on a piece of paper the next few pieces. Because I hear a lot of people talk about that. And since I kind of try to be the role of, well, I hear this all the time, but what's it mean? And you were kind of the role of, you know. When you talk about risk and, and judging risk, Shouldn't that also be a group effort? Because isn't risk kind of personal? Well, risk can be personal, but it is definitely a group discussion, right? So when I think about defining risk relative to the organization, 
again, it's outside of my own personal perception and I include a larger context, mm, okay. right? And this is a major thing because I often will find organizations who uh, define the level or type of change based on effort, right? Yeah. If it takes me three hours, it's a small thing. If it takes me two weeks, it's a big thing. Well, that's actually false because you could actually have a, an effort that takes a long time be lo- relatively low risk. Um, you know, the question is, should three lines of code change be a major change or a thousand lines? Well, that's the wrong question because if the three lines of code you're changing are on your public facing website or your online trading system and the thousand lines are on your back office intranet site, there's a whole different context of risk here relative to, again, not my perception, but the business. Right. Okay. I mean, that makes sense. I just, people always say, well, it depends on the level of risk. And I always think to myself, I bet at some companies that do just what you said, they define risk by how long it takes or what they think the impact's going to be, but they never really involved all the people that would help them determine the impact. So you asked the question about who gets involved in the change. So it comes back to that risk, right? Yep. So, and risk can be in relationship to business impact for revenue generation. It can be in context of brand damage. If, you know, suddenly our website gets hacked and there's lots of things on our website we don't want anyone else to see because it's embarrassing. Yep. There's a huge risk element there. So typically you say, okay, there's these things that if they were to occur, uh, we would have to pay the piper. We'd have to, we'd be publicly uh, exposed. Maybe we should get a fairly senior level group involved in making decisions on spending money and or changes to these types of things. So you have this a group of senior executives or senior leaders that would initially approve it. But then there's the, that's kind of a business risk approval. Then there's the, uh, the context of other changes. So I mean, you might actually have that same change run through a peer review. I would call that change advisory board of um, maybe department heads or department leaders. You might even have to put some things through a technical review because, you know, the executives weren't capable of doing a technical review. The peer uh, department heads probably were not. But the you know the engineers would have to do the technical review, and that sounds huge and enormous amount of change or control. And in some cases, that makes sense. In others, it doesn't make sense at all. What, what about have you ever do organizations ever do PR review or marketing review to say the risk of this from a technical, from an executive, or from a market? You mentioned marketing earlier, and the customers finding out. Do some organizations actually get that deep? Well, in the context certainly of a product or a new service release. Uh, and this would be more of a release management, probably qualification task. Mm. Marketing would be part of this. Messaging would be a major review. We'll have to cue risk up for one of the podcasts because it's awfully interesting to hear you. Whenever you talk about it, we talked about risk last time. I just kind of get excited. Maybe I'm just a risky person. Some risk is acceptable. It's that threshold, right? Ooh, good point. Good point. All right. So we've got the people involved and you said not all of it needs to be that grand. You don't need a technical, you don't need the CIO for, for every single thing. But some people go at these groups and selecting these groups by you know putting everything they have into it. Uh, when you get down to, is there such a thing as a core change group? Yes. Now, here's the most common issue with people, uh, organizations, when they architect their change process. Mm-hmm. They have this core change group, and it typically is a department lead or department domain head group that gets together. And they think, you know, we must see all changes. So they push all changes, regardless of size or scope or scale or risk, through this one pipe. And when you're pushing through all the changes of the organization through this one pipe, what do you get? A major bottleneck. 
constraint, bureaucracy. People hate it because they're spending hours in these aggravating meetings with looking at all changes from the least to the biggest. Um, this core group is good. It's, it's supposed to exist for a certain level of change. But the key is to classify your risk by risk type, excuse me, your change by risk type, and say, these changes need this level of approval. These changes need this core change advisory group. These changes, well, the interdependence and the failure is not so significant. So the, the line manager, the department head can approve these. And here are the pre-approved standard changes. And so you're, you're classifying your risk changes <laughs> relative to risk and approvals. And you're not having a one-size-fits-all. If you have a process where all the changes get approved by this core group that you're referring to, you have a bad change process. What about, I've seen a lot of organizations, I'm not going to name names. Um, I hate when people say I'm not going to name names. Maybe if we name names more often, we wouldn't have so many problems in the world. But what about organizations that have approvals via email? I've seen this. They'll send an email to executives that says, we're doing, we're upgrading this server, we're adding this program when we're uh, removing this piece of software, do you approve? And I th- I've seen this a lot, to be honest with you, Troy. And the exec just says, yep, and returns the email so that the approval can go through. That doesn't sound very effective, yet I see it go on a lot. Is that just the executive's lack of understanding or the change, per- the change person sending out the email's lack of understanding of what's important and what information we should share? Well, we, unfortunately, we have this concept of path of least resistance. So we often try to automate everything. And there is a place for automation. There is a place for email approval for certain types of changes. Mm-hmm. I would ask that organization to do some soul searching and say, what types of changes are appropriate for email, email approval and which should be really talked about uh, in a more holistic or group context. So maybe if you had change management around a development environment, even though I don't know anybody who does, but you know, sometimes to get changes in, I see people, they wait and do the, 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 the development as part of the change management process, but couldn't you actually have a separate process where you have lower level approvals just when you're testing something out before it even gets to, do we make this change or not? Yeah. I mean, that's a great example of the risk discussion we had a few moments ago. So, you know, the relative risk of making changes to a non-production environment are much lower, obviously. So maybe we use a primary, uh, an automated email approval mechanism for that type of scenario. But we sit down and we talk about changes that actually hit the production environment. Yeah, that, that's a good point. It kind of makes me wonder, when we, when, if we ever get to our, or when we get to our service catalog discussion, if maybe we don't need some type of executive view of the service catalog that just lists us each service by risk, and then you can drill down into the risk so you can understand it graphically so that, you know, something on your iPad, it's good. That's kind of neat. Oh, um. <laughs> well, actually, I'll give you an example of that, and it ties in another process. So, you know, we talk about business impact analysis as part of uh, service continuity, right? Correct. And just as a quick reference point, you've gone to the customer and you've asked how much disaster recovery or failover you want to build into your design. Um, and they literally tell you, classify, these things are critical. I want full failover, fault tolerance, disaster recovery capability within X number of hours, minutes, slash, you know, whatever that might be. And these are less so and less so and less so. Literally, you're classifying all of your services by, again, risk. That is published in the service catalog, and it is brought in and aligned with your change model and your release model. And so I actually published that very decision. And who made the decision? Well, actually, the business or customer did. Yeah, it would seem to me that oftentimes 
people want that level of redundancy uh, to support changes in the environment so you can be much more agile, but they might not be willing to actually pay for it. Yeah. Because that, that can probably be expensive for that sort of thing. Is that's what happens, and I don't know if we'll get into that process one day. But you know, everybody assumes that we'll have this you know disaster recovery on everything to the full nth, nth degree. But there's a huge cost. So you put the dollar figure in front of them, they suddenly see reason and they start to classify risk. So let's 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 break down kind of. We, we've got our little group there that's sitting there, depending on uh, the the risk involved, and and we're not automating certain things, and we're automating others, and we understand the environment. We've got our conductor. Let's break it down to some things and concepts that I see online that people throw around. And, you know, it's one of those things they just use the words. They so just assume they know what they're talking about. Something I used to hear a lot uh, were IMACs, install, move, add, change. And those types of things were logged in the, in the system, obviously. Uh, some people actually refer to that as pre-approved. So pre-approved changes. Yeah. Is there such a thing for the record? We could almost make this choice Thunderbolt of the day. But for the record, is there such a thing as pre-approved changes? There absolutely are. Or standard changes, uh, maybe to be correct. What's the proper term? Standard? You know, I'd have to go and look. (laughs) I believe it's standard change. Yes. It's not pre-approved. That's not the right term. But it's in this essence what they are. That's the one I see people use a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the principle here is let's say there is a change that occurs on a regular basis like an iMac. I'm, I'm... I'm going to, uh, I don't know, install, install a phone or give you a new laptop, right? Right. And the relative impact to the, the business goodness is relatively low. So what I'll do is I will submit a request to this core change approval team, the change advisory board, and say, I would like to actually make this type of change standard and flash pre-approved. That request is analyzed, assessed, looking at historical data, and Upon a you know, successful completion of that review, the change advisory board says, yes, we approve that this change now can be classified as a standard change, meaning that the requester simply has to log that's occurring. It doesn't have to go to the change advisory or technical review board. Do we have a responsibility as a good change advisory board to go through standard changes periodically? Or I guess, is there someone in the organization to see if maybe that's no longer still a safe standard change. It should be part of the regular agenda, right? Accepting new requests, but also reviewing uh, standard changes. In reference, probably that's not going to happen until you have an issue or an incident. But suddenly this standard change, which has been behaving itself nicely for a long time, starts to have issues. You're going to hear about that from the incident reports, and you're going to start to say, oh, (laughs) maybe this is no longer stable, Maybe we have to declassify this as a standard change and elevate it up now to a change requiring change advisory or core approval. I mean, that's a statistic I would really enjoy seeing is how many standard changes, what percentage of standard changes on a quarterly basis go back and become unstandard. It would probably be something you would manually capture, but it would certainly be something I would want to review as a, as a change board. Yeah, because, uh, you know, when you look at KPIs around uh, different jobs and and Departments, you know, what types of KPIs would you put on a change advisory board? Um, and, you know, what types of measurements to show that they're actually doing a great job other than nothing going wrong? You know, nothing going wrong to me is kind of like uh, not not really the starting point. It's kind of the status quo, you know. Mm-hmm. You should be always trying to, I guess, do a better job as a change advisory board. Do Is there such a thing as KPIs around a change advisory board? 
well, more about change itself and gotcha. things such as, you know, am I getting certain levels of changes in or certain types of changes within enough lead time to give me the appropriate capability to assess it? And so the lead times for change would obviously, as you would assume, be different for the really risky ones down to the more standard approach. And so you'd want to do that. You want to see how many changes were fail or failed relative to they didn't meet the expected uh, impact or they actually had to be backed out. So those are a lot of classic change KPIs. Yeah, that's interesting. I've never really thought about KPIs around change management. Um, I guess the process I, I have, because you just mentioned that one, but around the actual board or, or group of people themselves. Last week we talked a about service level management. And it was uh, really fun to listen to that back because I learned more the second time. Um, is there any type of service level management around how quickly we have to get decisions from teams of change managers? Well, actually, the concept of prioritization, you think about that typically within an incident context, right? Right. So a priority one uh, incident must be resolved within four hours, 80% of the time. Right. That's a you know concept. But think about the priority, which means, you know, from an ideal perspective, what's the impact of this thing I'm doing or the potential impact? And what's the urgency, time sensitivity? You would actually use prioritization as a class for or as a, as a means or policy for defining how quickly you had to respond to certain changes. For example, a priority one change would have to jump the queue, jump the line, and become earlier than a priority four change. And could you do the same type of urgency impact for the change priority that you do for incidents? You use the exact same model. The, hmm. the, the means by which you define priority is actually shared across multiple processes. Let's say that one more time. The mean by which you determine priority is shared across multiple processes important, I think, for people to sit with that. I'll actually uh, I'll link to an article called The Practicality of Prioritization in my blog. I actually have a couple of uh, example downloads as well. Yeah. I mean, you could tell you, I mean, for all intent and purposes, you could skip all consulting for the rest of your existence if you just read Troy's blog. <laughs> that's flattering. I, I don't think that's quite accurate, but I'll, I'll thank you for the words. Yeah, I live for hyperbole. <laughs> um, <laughs> so moving on from, from the iMac, uh, and that's so much to say because I recently am at Convert. Um, service requests. Yeah, this is an interesting one. You know, before version three came out, we used to have these deep philosophical debates over recreational beverages about hmm. is a service request really a kind of incident or is it a baby change? Yeah. And I actually used to be on the camp that it was a baby change, more around the iMac concept we were talking about. But they 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 came down and officially announced that it's it's a request, it's its own thing. So, you know, it's got its own dedicated process now. So, so it's almost like we have changes that don't require a certain level of authorica- authorization and now changes that do. Yeah, because a request could be a request for software, which is part of, uh, to me, move at change. Yeah. So, it, you know, it, it is what it is. The ITIL gods have spoken and it's its own process as opposed to a minor or sub part of change management. That's fine. It gets its uh, light uh, in the sun now and it gets its due diligence. Right. So people often talk about infrastructure changes and how infrastructure changes, you know, since we, we now know that risk is probably the paramount thing when looking at change management, but infrastructure changes having uh, a much more high likelihood of needing more approval and review. Well, to divert, to divert, well, I know, I'm, I'm reaching there, but it's to get to a point. Hold on. Okay. Hold on. Hang on there, Troy. Cause, Where are you going with this, Chris? Yeah, well, you know, i got to get your expert opinion here because, you know, people hang on you know, every word here. All right. 
when you're talking about infrastructure, I mean, infrastructure can be a lot of different things. I want you to kind of get off the track here a little bit and talk about how change teams might differ when parts of your IT infrastructure are in the cloud or, or someplace else. Have you seen that actually impact change advisory boards dramatically in the past couple of years? Well, absolutely. Let's start with the premise. There's always been a mixed supplier model. Always. There's always. This is not new. No, not at all. It's, it's always been a mixed supplier. Okay. Right. So, and it's always been a challenge to align the changes happening within app dev versus infrastructure versus stuff that's happening by the vendor, either inside your data center or outside. Uh, it's become more complex now as people go to cloud components or complete cloud services as part of their value chain. But the reality is, if your service outcome to the customer you serve is dependent on these external services in the cloud, either in part or in whole, that has to have some relevance to your change schedule. Back to that fridge discussion we had a few moments ago. Right? I mean, it's a change regardless of who made it. And now you've brought into your value chain an external trusted advisor or partner, and they're making changes, and in some cases, uh, not even telling you, and you have to deal with the outcome when suddenly your customer has, logs in that next morning and the screen looks completely different. Uh, you didn't even have a chance to warn them. Yeah, I mean, I think of like a university setting that depends on uh, Google Mail. A lot of them do now for, for financial reasons and other reasons. And Google Mail itself often adds new features. Now, they don't go through, you know, doing changes that break it, although I've seen, you know, it goes down from time to time. But I've often wondered, you know, what happens when half the campus has Priority Inbox, which Google released last year, and the other half doesn't? I would think calls to the service desk would go, hey, why is my inbox sorted differently all of a sudden, where Google just thought they were doing something nice for you? Yes, well, best intentions, right? Right. So not that the feature or function is a bad one. It's simply... Part of change is the human factor, and we have to coordinate, schedule that change. And so I'm not alarming people on Friday night when I suddenly say I'm going to the movies and they had different plans. Right. It's all about coordinating the reality of existence, which is change. So it's probably really important when you're signing these supplier contracts, because like you said, this is always this mixed model has always been around. We need to sit with that for a moment, like we sat with priority. It's always been around. Nothing new. Cloud, don't freak out. But we need to, when we're signing these contracts, I mean, I guess we really need to focus on, you know, what does the provider consider a change or an enhancement that they're just going to throw my way that could disrupt or increase cost to my desk? You know, really what happens is depending on who's dealing with the provider, mm-hmm. these questions are either thought of or not thought of. That's scary. So if, if, let's say the executive, the VP of marketing or sales is looking for CRM and they're, you know, they're frustrated with IT services, they go direct to salesforce.com, for example, right? Yep. And they, all they're thinking about is feature, function, price. Yep. How how much can I get it for, and uh, what kind of capability does it give me? They don't think about service level. They don't think about change. They don't think about release. They don't think about service continuity, which now is a big part of this discussion. They just want function and money. Uh, on the other hand, if IT was to go to that uh, same provider as a request because they're now the service provider, and who they source their services from really is the decision, a strategic decision. Uh, of the organization, they're going to ask not only the function price question, but a lot more around these support concepts. And so we often see the reverse happen, unfortunately, and then IT is held accountable to then support something they never had any 
aspect in supporting the negotiation for. Exactly. And when we started recording practitioner radio, we went to our IT and said, hey, we need you to put these up on iTunes for us. And all of a sudden they're like, what? <laughs> uh, what? Chris and George or Chris and Troy are doing a podcast? So yeah, I mean, we make decisions at an executive level that we just do and then it affects IT. And then IT, when they can't get it done quick enough or get it done the way we want, or on something we totally decided on our own, who do we blame? IT. Scary stuff. All right, application enhancements. Application enhancements. I'd like to kind of bring this to a different context. Go ahead. I will, I will address your application enhancements. Uh, but one of the things that we frequently see is that most organizations have some kind of change management, change controls, change notification thing in place, but it's not necessarily coordinated back to that silo discussion, right? Right. I mean, everyone seems to use the words. I just don't know if everyone's doing it right. Right. We have, we have our separate social calendars and we don't sync them. Right. So we got projects being uh, managed. We've got application enhancements being done. We have quote unquote infrastructure changes. We have IMAX. We have uh, cloud-based things changing, right? All these things happening. So one of the things that we want to consider is that you need some central coordination, that common schedule on the fridge, if you will, regardless of how you actually initially conceptually approve whether you should build, buy, or do, at the point where it's actually moved into production, minimum, minimum, you need some kind of forward schedule of change to look at things in context with each other. Now, that's not full ITIL change management. Let's get that straight. Right. But at least gives me a sense of I can understand changes in context to each other. We often refer to that as change control. All right. Well, a lot of vendors will talk about forward schedule changes and show you an example of one. And in my experience, it's great if everyone in the company is tied into that same tool, same schedule. But usually it's just a few key IT people using that. Yeah, it comes back to the will to do it. Mm. You know, for example, uh, one of the classic things that we see is uh, the ERP group, the SAP Oracle Financials group will say, listen, we don't need to be part of your change management process. Mm -hmm. We have known how to do change management before you even could spell the word. Mm. So why would we demean ourselves and slow down by getting into the quote-unquote corporate or IT enterprise change process? Now, part of that is right. They have been doing change management for a dog's age. But the reality is they don't live in a vacuum. They may have used to because they had their own dedicated data center, but those days are long gone. They're now part of the common data center and they're ERP, quote-unquote, application, lives on servers, is connected by middleware, is supported by databases. <laughs> you know, it's, they're not an island unto themselves. So you need to have various sources of changes coordinated uh, into this, this schedule. Uh, George has this great story, and I, I like to steal it, I'm, but I'm giving him attribution. George, I'm giving you attribution. Oh, don't worry, George doesn't listen to any of these. Okay. He, <laughs> he talks about it like this. He says... Consider each of your change processes at whatever level of maturity they are, are like a separate air traffic control tower. Okay, picture that. But you only have one runway, quote unquote, the data center. And the analogy is, doesn't matter how mature each of these control towers are, they're all flying planes, big ones, small ones, fast ones, slow ones, into this single runway. What is the end result? when you're doing that without coordination between the control towers. Maybe I'm, yeah, I mean, I was going to say, maybe I'm missing the point, but if you have multiple control towers at one airport, isn't that dangerous? And they don't talk. Well, absolutely. Would you, Chris, want to fly in? I've only ever seen one at an airport. Yeah, well, that's the thing. 
Would you want to fl- willingly fly into an airport where they have multiple control towers for each airline? <laughs> All landing planes from Delta, from American, from Air Canada, but not talking to each other. No, I think that that, that airport exists in Manila. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the analogy of what we got today with most change control processes. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'd never really thought about big ones, slow ones, you know. All the different types of airplanes. It was, it's a great analogy. I mean, would, would you really want to fly in your small, uh, one, you know, single seater right after a big seven forty seven just landed? I wouldn't even want to work in the control tower. I'd be scared. To, I mean, who wants to see that type of drama? It's a stressful job, but someone's got to do it. Very stressful. Very stressful. Yeah, I liked where we were going with the conductor of the symphony, but the airplane uh, and airport analogy is much, much better. From havoc to control. Now, there, you know, to kind of play on this change control, there's a couple of different levels in it. I'd like to qualify this before we go into this by saying what you're about to hear, never take to an ITIL exam, because if you do, you will fail miserably, at least the change management portion, right? When you, when you think about maturing change management out, there's kind of three levels here we're talking about. There's change notification. Either someone tells you after or before the change actually occurred, it's actually happening, right? Hey, that's better than nothing, Chris, right? I mean, at least you know. Right. right. No one's asking your opinion, or even if it's a good thing, it's just they, they're letting you know. It's, I mean, some service desk would even die for that much information. Yeah. Then I push it back a bit into the life cycle, and I'm talking about the weekend, uh, and I'm, I'm Thursday, Friday, Friday before the weekend, and I'm getting together this core team, and we're, we're looking at the schedule of changes, and I'm saying, okay, can these changes go live in coordination with each other? Now, the interesting thing is I'm not approving the change, even though I call it change management or change control, I have nothing to say about whether the change goes in or not, only when the change goes in or not. I have no red light. I only have a yellow one, right? So I can say, hey, you must slow down, circle the airport a couple more times because this change has to go in first, but in the end, your change is going to go in regardless. That's change control. That's the, can I promote into production, right? Right. ITIL actually says, even before that, before the change is a twinkle in your hands or your eyes, can I conceptually do this thing relative to my intent going forward? And then at some point in the future, whether that's tomorrow or that's a year from now or six months, I get to ask the question, can I now promote it into production? There's always at least two change approvals, conceptual and promotion. So that's change management. Most organizations will have change control. I still can't wrap my head around having enough people in the organization, and I think you you alluded a couple times to, who are actually willing to be involved, to take the time and to, to do this. Will is a big part of it. Yeah. I mean, logically, it makes sense when we put it in the context of a control tower and change management. But what's the organizational will to actually collaborate? Back to the uh, people side of this. Right. And... People sometimes just don't seem willing to collaborate until there's a major disaster. And then you know, all of a sudden they're willing to cooperate. <laughs> you know, we'll talk now that there's been a problem. You know, it's uh, uh, quite interesting. Uh, kind of makes, makes you wonder. Pain. Pain is a wonderful motivator. Pain is a wonderful <laughs> motivator. Well, with that in mind, it's, uh, it's that time, Troy. And I think you know what time I'm talking about. Yes. It is Troy's Thunderbolt tip of the day. Troy, are you prepared with Troy's Thunderbolt tip of the day? I am prepared, Chris. Troy, please proceed. All right, Chris, this is a thing to keep in mind. Regardless of the source of change, whether you call it a project, an application enhancement, an infrastructure change, maybe even some IMAX, 
you need to get those changes together on a forward change schedule that allows you to see how you implement adopt changes in context with each other. Changes in isolation are deadly. Brilliant. And I think that sums up today's entire uh, discussion. You got to get all these things together. They've got to be visible and they've got to be visible so you can understand them in the context. Troy, thank you. It's been another amazing episode. I look forward to chatting with you again in two weeks. Very good. Take care, Chris. All right, guys. Hey, this is Practitioner Radio, and we will check with you in two weeks. Thanks, Nader. Thanks, Nader.